So I would say my first songs were very influenced by those bands. And, um, and I remember bringing songs to my band. I had an all girl band because I went to an all girl Catholic school. And I remember bringing songs to them and they were like, oh man, this is too dark. (laughs) This is way too dark. We've got to, we've got to pep it up a little bit. I'm like, okay, whatever. What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 81 of the Bay Shed Podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. On the episode is touring bassist and recording artist Eva Gardner. Eva has been an in-demand bassist for the past couple decades. All the way back in 2001, Eva was the original bassist for the band Mars Volta. She later went on to work with Tim Burgess, Baruch Assault, and joined the band for the artist Pink in 2007. And she is still working with Pink. Uh, actually, we we nudged this interview by one day because she had rehearsal with Pink. Uh, Eva has also released two EPs. The 2019 release was titled Chasing Ghosts. And the most recent release is titled Dark Matter. Eva holds a degree in ethnomusicology and comes from a musical family. Her father, Kim Gardner, whose birth name was Chris Gardner, was a founding member of the English 1960s rock group The Birds. Originally, they were called The Thunderbirds. After he came to L.A., he then founded the legendary, legendary establishment Cat and Fiddle. Eva will talk about all that. We also chat about quite a bit of other things, too. There's a lot of a lot of humanity in this conversation, and that's that's ultimately my favorite. Uh, I highly, I highly recommend checking out her latest EP, Dark Matter. I really dug it. There's a lot of, a lot of strong influences of grunge, some 80s synth, some glam elements. Uh, they're all working together in a really interesting way. And each influence is acknowledged, but none of them are overbearing. There's, there's almost like this respect to each influence to let them coexist, and they do, and they do in a beautiful way. It's a fantastic, fantastic EP, Dark Matter by Eva Gardner. I will have links to it at thebayshed.com backslash podcast backslash Eva Gardner. For all my musician friends out there that have their own single or album to sell, check out Fine. The fellows over at Fine.com have developed a new platform for artists to distribute their creative content. Fine.com benefits the creator of said content, and it is free to sign up and post your work. You can also listen to episode 76 of the Bay Shed podcast to hear from the owners themselves. So if you have an album, a single, anything you'd like to distribute, head over to Fine.com. Check it out. Double bassists. Everything you need for the double bass can be found at Lemur Music. Sheet music, bass accessories, basses, bows, bow cases, rosin, everything. Head over to lemurmusic.com. Use the promo code THEBASESHED, all one word, for 10% off. While you are on the interwebs, stop by dlakenbases.com. Dan Lakin, founder of Lakeland Bases, has a new company, D. Lakin Bases. Dan and I designed a bass that I play a lot, actually. It is a five-string fretless that I absolutely love. I mentioned how I took it out to a gig and folded pretty hard because I have it strung up with a high C string right now. And I wasn't that comfortable on the high C before I took it to a gig. Anyways, love the bass. Still still working it out with the high C string. DLakenBasses.com Getting back to my guest on the episode, this was a really fascinating and engaging talk with Eva Gardner. I remember after after getting done with the chat, the chat, I was in a daze for a little bit. And I remember thinking like, 
What what just what just happened there? What what just happened? Um, I'm aware of some other interviews that Eva has done previously. Um, and so I did quite a bit of research to prepare for our talk. I was hoping that I wouldn't cover too much of the same information in the same way. I was hoping to offer a different interview to her fans and to the base community. I hope you all find it as interesting and captivating as I did. Uh, when I think back on all the different folks that have been on the podcast, this one this one will stand out for quite quite a long, long time. This was this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. So thank you, Eva. Uh, and here it is. Here's my chat with touring bassist and recording artist Eva Gardner. How you doing? There we are. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Internet went down. That's still a thing, huh? It's still a thing, and unfortunately, uh, it's been a um, a common thing in the last. Really? Recently, yeah. I think I need to. Um, Is that because of your uh, internet provider? Yes, it is absolutely them. I get text messages. It's Spectrum. Oh, can we do a whole podcast rant about Spectrum? Can, can we just do can, that for an please? hour? Whatever. You play the bass, can I play the bass. Fine. Great. Okay, Spectrum. Whatever. Let's talk about just a bunch of a-holes over there at Spectrum. You have one job. You have the internet. Just deal with the internet. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Podcast and they send over. me text. They, they send me a text message updates and they're like, that is out in your area. We will keep you posted with any updates. I'm like, what the hell, man? Yeah. Drag. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, here we are. It's, here we are. We're, we're back doing up it. and running. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Spectrum. Yeah. Well, let's see if this lasts. I mean, so right. far so good. Yeah. They don't. They don't so have my vote so on anything. They're terrible. No, they're 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 awful. And I I would love to sw- switch to another company, but there's no other company that offers no. that in my neighborhood. Right. Right. They so. have like territorial monopolies on the thing. Like when I lived up yeah. in North Hollywood, it was Time Warner. And now that I'm on the west side, it's Spectrum, and they both suck. You're in Venice, right? I'm in Venice, yeah. 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 Yeah, terrible. Yeah, uh, Venice or Spectrum, because I can rant about either. I'm, I'm all about the rant. I love <laughs> ranting. Do you have some ranting to do about Venice? Oh, oh man, of course. Some of course, of course. When was the last time you were in Venice? Uh, probably last month. Okay. You know it's rantable. I- I know it's rangeable. I did a bike ride with some friends and it was it was a uh, full on tent city along the entire boardwalk bike path. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like the bike path that goes down Venice Boulevard by the library or on the boardwalk. A boardwalk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we went down to Santa Monica, so. OK, wait, wait, let me think where I, there's yeah. less tents there. Like they keep it clean in Santa Monica. They don't keep it clean in Venice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, it was better in Santa Monica. But yeah. I, has it gotten better in Venice in the last couple months? The pandemic, during the pandemic, like during lockdown, it got really bad. Uh, then they came and cleaned it up. And now it's been slowly encroaching again. And, again. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to get it. I've heard I all live this near stuff. downtown. So. It's, OK. OK. So it's pretty full on. How's downtown doing? Like I haven't. I haven't made it downtown. Oh, I was downtown maybe about a month and a half ago, but I don't know how close you are to downtown. Is it, what are they doing there? Is it clean? Echo Park, I know, got bad for a minute. Echo Park got better. They cleaned up the lake. They put a fence around it. Right. Right. I heard about that. Uh, But then it's like, where do the, where do they go? Right. Where do these people go? Um, Have you heard the, the tale that other cities ship them in? 
No. Yeah. That, what does I've, this tell you speak <laughs> what, is, what is this yarn you spin? Um, I've heard that, <laughs> that other cities like sometimes give them money to get on a bus and it's a one-way ticket to LA and they just ship their homeless over here. Okay. I believe it. I, that makes sense. I believe it. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past people. No, do no, no. I don't like put that. anything past people. Yeah. Anybody is capable of doing just dumb shit. Horrible things. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just when you think you could trust somebody. No, no, you can't. You just can't. when you thought people were, were innately good. <laughs> no, no. Then, you know, so I mean, this, this conversation with somebody like, you know, you want a while back, you were like, are, are people innately good or are people innately bad? And mm. you're always the person that's like, oh, I feel like deep down innately people are good people. Um, and in the last few years, several years, people are like, I don't know, maybe they're bad. I don't know. It's What's really your take? Tough. Where do you stand on the topic? Ah, you know, I, I want to, I always want to stay on the optimistic side sure. of the fence. Okay. Now I, I got to like ask, is that because it, because that, is that because it helps you get through the world easier? Because if you inherently think people are bad, then you're, you're just depressed all the time. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a glass half full, glass half empty kind of right. a thing. And I want to live my life thinking the glass is half full, even when it appears to be half empty. But uh, I feel like it makes life a little bit more um, uh, palatable. I think so. And, I, and I, I definitely agree with the, the law of attraction. And so if you're thinking half full, you know, hopefully that inspires whatever kind of stuff, you know, people like around attracts you, like, yeah, people, people around you are going to hopefully be more optimistic and less dark. Yeah, I hope so. And, and I, and I find that when people are the doom and gloom people that are around, it's, it's difficult to be around doom and gloom. Yeah. All the time, even because there's enough doom and gloom. And it takes it a is. lot of effort to deal with them. Yeah. Like, ah, uh, like uh, now another one. Like, I got to console you too. I've done it like four times today. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a like, lot. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot. So, um, yeah. And I, and I think I get it from my mom. My mom's always been a very optimistic hmm. person. And she's always been like, a, uh, you know, when bad things happen, she's always the person that's like, well, you know, we'll, we'll, she tries to see the, the good side of things and okay. she's always been like that. So I'm grateful that she's always been a positive force and optimistic force. Cause I think that that's a habit that I that's a, appreciate. That's a great habit. And does she do it on, on the circumstances? Like, you know, if, if, if someone's car got broken into, she would be, well, at least it wasn't this, this is easily fixable. We can have it done by the end of the week. Or is it just on the larger picture? Everything will be okay. It's, it's all the above. Okay. No, oh, wow. she's just uh, she's just always looking for a silver lining. Yeah, because I feel like again, it makes it makes life a little bit more palatable and makes it, it easier to go to go through and to see those things because the bad things happen all the time, right? That's just there's yeah. good, there's no good without bad. Exactly, exactly. And and so those things are going to happen. So you know, I appreciate uh maybe seeing things from a different angle to see like maybe down the line maybe down the line we'll see why you know like you'll be glad later that you didn't get into that school or whatever you know whatever the case may sure. be um yeah, the um, story the story as the stories unfold they reveal themselves yeah 
But during yeah. when you're in the process of the journey, it's just kind of like, well, what the hell is this? Sometimes it's hard to see the yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard to see. Uh, was it hard to see the forest through the trees? Is that? I is think that that's the, the thing. Right, yeah. Is that the right? I grew thing up for in that? the desert. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Where did you grow up? Phoenix. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're you're LA, right? You're born born here. Born and raised. Yeah. Yeah. yeah born and raised. It's a it's rare. Yeah, we're a rare breed, but we're out there. Yeah. We exist. <laughs> we exist. <laughs> like some indigenous tribe that's like, oh, I think I saw one today. Yeah. Well, even <laughs> there, I was spotting. Even talking to like, I mean, you could choose. You could choose your happiness could be a choice, mm-hmm. right? And I another conversation I was having with someone about growing up in LA and seeing how much LA has changed. And seeing, um, you know, all the the buildings that have been raised and other ones that have been um, built, and just how it's a really different landscape from from how it was when we were we were growing up, and um, some good, some bad, sure. But I started finding myself being that person that was like, oh, well, back in my day, you know, and like when like the old locksmith turned into a Rite Aid or whatever, and then you get mad about that. And now that Rite Aid is (laughs) is closed and they're all Chipotle now. Now everything's a Chipotle. Exactly. But I feel like these people were having the same conversations 50 years ago, 100 years ago. I think every generation has had it. It's the same thing. So I I had to keep myself from from just turning into that curmudgeon person, I had to make a choice. And I was like, you know what? I just have to choose this, choose to see this as this is just the way things are. Yeah. To some people it's progress to some people it's not progress, but it is what it is. And yeah. you can only choose the way that you react to it. I agree. You can't, you can't, you can't control what's happening. Just, just your attitude towards it. So. Right. This whole conversation and that quote specifically leads me to your EP. Oh. <laughs> uh, because I read, I was reading an, uh, an interview you did with Glide magazine and you actually used that same thing. You said that same thing that you can only can choose how you respond. Um, the title of your EP is dark matter and reading the article answered the question I had written, but I would like you to explain it to the listeners who may not have checked out the article. Um, where does the title of the EP come from? So I used to be, when I was a kid, before I wanted to be a bass player, I wanted to be an astronomer. <laughs> and I, my dad had a telescope and we were always looking at the stars and looking for planets and just really into space and what was out there. So I've always had, a, had an ear and an eye towards astronomy. And I love the concept of dark matter, um, which is an astronomical thing that, um, where they say that you can't necessarily see this dark matter, but you know what's there because of the way that it's affecting matter around okay. the things around it. Would a black um, hole be part of that? No, a, a black hole is not dark matter. Um, okay. A black hole is actually, I think that's actually, it's actually a, a mass, but you can't see it because it's, it's, it's a vacuum, isn't it? Like it's a mass yeah, that is a vacuum. Yeah. Like light cannot, uh, light can't, um, like, like, can't reflect off it because it's because it's just absorbing everything around mm. it. It's I think it's it, the pull is so strong, um, so light can't escape. Right. That's why we can't see it. So okay. it just looks like a black hole. But that is that is actually like things can orbit around a black hole. Okay. There's actually it's actually like like mass without getting sucked um, into it, huh? They can. Yes. If they get too close, they'll get uh. sucked into it. 
But if they stay far enough away, um, things can actually orbit around it, uh, from what I understand. Um, so, yeah, so this idea of, of dark matter is really fascinating because I also am really into um, psychology and the way that the human brain works and our patterns yeah. and how, we, how our human brains have evolved from the ones that have survived, right? Like we're descendants of survivors. Mm -hmm. So um, that were the ones that were away to uh, or around they, that, like, that could find food, that could run away from, from predators. Right. So we are wired like, the, like, like our ancestors. Um, and so our brains are, are wired still for those, for, uh, those times, although we don't have those same, um, those same concerns and, and need for survival that we used to. Right. We Just still like a have carnal, instinctual, reactionary reflex system. Is that, yes. We yeah. still, we still have the same, the same hormones, you know, we still emit the same hormones. We still have all the same the same functions, even though we don't use them in modern society the way we did before. Sure. Uh, so the subconscious is one of the things that I'm really fascinated in as well and how our subconscious affects us. And to me, I, I kind of drew a parallel between the subconscious and dark matter. Like we don't see it. We don't know it's there. We're not aware of it, but it affects us. It affects yeah. our patterns. It creates our patterns. It's um, something that uh, that we carry with us and we don't necessarily know that it's there or that it's determining our moods yeah. um, or our behaviors. Sure. No, it, it makes, I think it, you know, can change the course of things going through and like kind of marinating on the concept of that musically while putting out the EP. Did you discover some, some spots in your subconscious that kind of came, came to the conscious? Yeah. If you look at relationship patterns, mm -hmm. um, whether it be romantic or with your family or friends, um, patterns that arise from subconscious behaviors, from, from things that have happened throughout our lives and childhoods that have, that have programmed us. You know, yep. we have these programs, whether it be, like, I just learned recently, there's trauma with a big T and there's trauma with a little T. Mm. And most of us at least have with a little T. And those are those things that, that happen to us over and over again, that, that that pick away at us you know maybe it's like an overbearing parent or or something at, at a teacher at school or whatever it may be those things that we don't necessarily see as a big event um which would be a trauma with a big t but our but, minds are registering it as trauma and with the little t traumas that was a question actually i don't want to uh our minds are recognizing these lowercase t traumas as trauma even though to somebody else, it may not be trauma. Right. Exactly. Like that's a personal, unique, individual trauma for us. Yes. And we all have our own experiences and we all yeah. create these programs. But again, our, we're wired for survival. Right. We're, we're wired to remember those negative things so that we stay out of the way or, you know, don't eat that purple flower because it will kill you, you know, like <laughs> right, it will right, kill right. you <laughs> or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like the way that we're wired is we remember those bad things. We remember those things so that we don't repeat them or we don't, we stay out of harm's way. We I survive survival stuff to dig into the psychology. I would have no idea what it's called, but I do think that people purposely replay traumas because they find comfort there. Comfort in the sense of the trauma is not comfortable, but they're used to being in this place. So they kind of bring it on themselves. It's familiar. 
Yeah, that's what I'm going exactly. for. Right. Exactly. It's familiar. So we repeat those patterns because they're familiar, even though. Because the pattern is just a habit of how someone conducts themselves. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a habit and it might not be it, it might not be serving us necessarily, sure. but it's something that's familiar and we keep repeating these patterns. We're like, oh, my God, why do I keep you know, choosing um, uh, like emotional vampires? Why do I keep having this? But maybe your parent was one when your sure. parents was one or maybe someone that was in your early life was one. So it's a familiar thing, even though you're like, oh, why do I keep doing this? Right. No, it's a. Yeah, when you I mean, when I've I've come to crossroads like that in my personal life, and it's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to unpack. I mean, it's I, I feel I think, like I'm I, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's it not, it's easy. It's not easy. The journey is not easy. I mean, I've been in and out of therapy for the last 20 years, and I've been I feel like I've been on this this journey for a very long time towards towards just figuring out my own brain and figuring out why right. I do the things I do. And, and it's pretty fascinating, right? It's not always pleasant. No, um, usually it's not <laughs> actually pleasant at all, but no, but, but I think there is a daring to anybody who pursues that because you know, you're going to see some ugly stuff about yourself and your image of yourself will probably change and you might get dark and depressed for a while because of it. If you stay there too long. Um, but I think it takes a lot of courage. To be to to go into it knowing that like yeah this isn't uh, this isn't going to be happy all the time. This ain't pretty. This ain't so pretty. All the <laughs> no, time. No. yeah, not all hearts and rainbows. <sighs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's a bunch of spectrum internet fans. Yeah, is what it is. Exactly. It's tied That's together. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, cool. So that was the concept you were dealing with the record, and then out of the six tunes on the record, is there a personal narrative tied to each each track or are they kind of concepts that just fit the concept of dark manner or is it yeah. personal to you as well i mean each each song is its own little capsule and mm -hmm. tells its own little story um I, I and again that's all coming from my own brain whether it's experiences that i've had personally or things that um have influenced me that i've seen uh it's 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 like storytelling, you know, um, sure. and it kind of comes from all over. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that being a human, you come with a subconscious, you come you come with a you come with a program and you don't know really you don't see the inner workings, but it's there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's the overarching thing and all those little the stories within within the record um, are their all their own little vignettes. Uh, result of <laughs> vignettes, yeah. yeah, results of whatever programming, you know. Okay, okay, yeah. Now, when did this attraction to psychology and maybe sociology? When? How far back can you trace that in your life? Because you got a degree in ethnomusicology, which I right. think yeah. all that is very tied together with the whole cultural level and clearly a music level. Uh, but sure. it's still a study of people almost first. Yeah. So it's, it's a cross between musicology and anthropology actually. Mm. And it's, it's a study of music and how it correlates to culture, how, sure. how the environment influences people and, and therefore music, right. Yeah. And, and studying ethnomusicology and music around the world, you're really seeing how, 
music is developed according to the environment that people in are mm-hmm. in. Like, you know, Western music has its own very specific set of rules. But then you go over to, I got really into Indonesian music, into mm. Balinese music specifically. And so if you examine Balinese music, it's right on the equator. The sun sets and rises six to six every day oh, year wow. round. So harvest season is year round. So okay. um, as a result, the music is very cyclical. Sure. Um, and there's no like necessarily uh, beginning, middle, ending. Like sure, there's like like songs, quote unquote, song formats that we performed. Um, but it's it's all based in in cycles and um and so just around the world you're seeing how people's environments specifically a lot of like natural environment um if there's a lot of like bird song or rainforest activity you know a lot of times the music will will mimic that and imitate the environment that people are in uh i'm fascinated by this balinese music you said is mm-hmm. the cyclic so harmonically in this music is are there cadence points with like a tension you know, in a resolution. Sure. There's Do they still dynamics. have all that? There's a lot, a lot of dynamics. Of, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of dynamics for sure. Um, and it's a lot of like the instrument that I played, it was called the Pemade and it looks like a xylophone. It's a xylophone okay. type instrument. So there's a set of xylophone looking instruments. There's a set of like small potted gongs. There's a set of larger gongs that accent the different parts of the music. There's, oh, wow. um, is it ceremonial based? It, it can be. Okay. Yeah, it's sure. Sure. It can be. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's a Hindu country. So a lot mm. of it's based on the, the Ramayana. Okay. From what I understand. Um, and so a lot of it's like stories stories that come from those traditions and their characters there's there's dancers that are part of it so a lot of these are characters from uh from these stories is this still like what it sounds like you're describing is something that's like really folkloric is it still exist in that application now or have they modernized it in some way or is that still are they still carrying the tradition of that over there do you know from what i know i mean it's been a long time since i've been over there but um, from what I know, it, it, they still carry on that tradition. Yeah, it's still the the, the traditional um, traditional music. I don't know what the current what the current um, stuff is. I don't know. Like when I last time I was there, that was before there was really internet. You know, it was before yeah. <laughs> there was a lot. Of, like we didn't have cell phones. So wow. um, it seems like a cool so, time to be there, though. Like before the technology gets in there and messes up like the purity of it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I went over there with my teacher. So my, my teacher who taught at UCLA um, also taught at Cal arts okay. and Yoman Wenton is his name. And so when he said he was going back for the summer one day, he was like, and you know, who wants to come, you know, a bunch, a bunch of us raised our hands. So it was UCLA kids and Cal arts kids. And we all went over there and it was great because we had him as a, um, we went with a local basically. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so he was able to guide us and we had a really incredible experience and got to perform in in these different villages. And it was a really special experience nice. to be able to get that, to get that. Um, but it was also one of those things where we didn't have cell phones. So would he, the way that he gave us directions to places was like, okay, yeah. So you go down to this village and then make a right at the big tree. And then you'll, <laughs> yeah. Then you'll see a cow and then make a left at yeah. the cow when you see the cow. And that's how we kind of got around. I like that the landmarks, lost, like, the landmarks aren't stationary uh, 
That, things like the cow can objects. move. Yeah, like <laughs> oh, I know. Do you still hang a left if the cow's like four hundred yards down? That's hilarious. Exactly, but that was also part of the charm, I think. Um, even though, like you know, there was a lot of people that were late all the time, and you can't text them and be like, "Hey, I'll whatever, whatever," or you right. can't turn on your GPS and figure out where the cow is at any given moment. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's got a low jack on the cow. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So. So it was a really, looking back um, from a nostalgic perspective, it was a really, it was a really special time. Yeah. Um, and I, I would love to go back. I don't know what it's like now. I hear it's still amazing. Sure. Um, but revisiting places that I went to many years ago before phones and then revisiting later um, where everyone has an iPhone, I would say it's pretty different, pretty different experience. Of course. Of course. Um, what was I going to say? I had something lined up. I forgot it. Uh, you released this uh, EP. Okay, I have to ask this because I don't understand this. This isn't specific to what you released. EP means extended play, as far as I know. LP means long play. Why does EP always mean short? Um, I, it ha- I think it has something to do with vinyl. And the that amount, would make sense that the vinyl could I, hold. Yeah, I think that if you, you know, I don't remember. To me, they seem like the same the thing. Speed? You got ex- extended and long. Well, then one, what's normal? Right. <laughs> you know, if, if the LP is long and this one's extended. Yeah. And then why when people do release EPs, they're always, you know, like you did four to six tunes. It's not necessarily a full length album. It could have something to do with the speed, the speed at which they're played. Um, could be the speed. Because I like for my the vinyl is forty five. You play at okay. forty five RPM, so you can only only fit so many songs on there. Mm. Um, if yeah, I think I don't know. I could be. I could be. The wrong. vinyls you sell my, are they forty fives? Are they actually? They are. Yeah, yeah, it's not the size of a forty five, but it's it's, it's a speed. it's a twelve inch. Yeah, yeah. it's a twelve inch vinyl, but it's played at forty five RPMs. Hmm. So the quality, there's more information in there. Oh, so is that what that is? The so quality you, is higher. So if you spin slower, yeah. you get more information on the actual. So it's higher quality. Okay. I, I'm just like, I've just been getting into the vinyl thing. So this mm-hmm. is all new uh, territory for me. Yeah. Uh, this is your second EP, correct? Mm-hmm. What was the first one? The first one was called Chasing Ghosts. Uh, that, that I want to talk about that. This also leads me to something I read that you were on a ghost TV show in relation to cat and the fiddle. Yes. Okay. I definitely want to come back to that. Uh, I loved that club, by the way, I used to play there every Sunday night, like eight years. You did. You did do jazz nights there. Yeah. I was on a Sunday night. Yeah. We did jazz Sundays. Yeah. That was me. Oh, that's cool. Um, What what was the band that you were playing with? It was just a bunch of dudes, like whoever was in town. Okay. Um, no, no, no. There was there was a jazz thing before. Was it ja- was it the jazz thing or was it the were you doing the Latin when you guys brought in the? We were doing like hip hop jazz. Hip hop like jazz. Was, okay. Yeah. Okay. But I remember hearing uh, kind of a classic jazz thing there at one point. We had a like a traditional jazz thing. We had yeah. those. The guys had been playing since like I was a kid. They played there for right. twenty years since the early since the mid eighties. Actually, my dad would sit in every Sunday. Oh, nice. Yeah, who is, was who is the manager guy? What was his name? I loved that manager guy. 
uh, was he English or American? He's English. Nobby. Andy. Yeah. Andy, maybe. The, yeah, that guy was yeah. great. And like he always, there was always like these old timers that would sit in the same couches on, every on the week. Bench. The dude yeah. with the straw hat. What was his name? He was a sweetheart. Martin. Yeah. Irish. Irish yeah. Yeah. Love that guy. He decoded. Like yeah. there's a saxophone player that used to play with us sometimes. And he like, he just decoded the whole dude in like one saxophone solo. He oh, wow. completely nailed who that guy was. It was really fascinating. Mm. Uh, yeah, I love that club. I actually didn't know that the original location is now Pache. Yes, that's right. We were in yeah. the Royal Canyon. Right. First. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Right next to the, was that creepy little Laurel Canyon store still then? Oh, it was, it was there. Yeah. I used to get candy from there. Yeah, that place has a vibe. That place weirds me out. The country mart. Yeah. Store. Yeah. yeah. Um, so back to the title, back to the, <laughs> back to your first EP. It was called, remind me the title. Chasing ghosts. Chasing ghosts. Uh, what was the concept on this one? Yeah. So that was, um, again, sort of talking about uh, things that aren't there, but they're there (laughs) (laughs) now that I think of it. Yeah. Just kind of like, you know, I had lost my dad. So, um, just sort of, you know, but his presence is so strong, you Mm -hmm. know, in my life. And of course the cat fiddle being one of those places where he like sat in with the jazz band every night. And he was the one who was like the host with the most. And, and so he definitely had a strong, strong presence there. And, um, again, the ghost, it's, it's a lot of different layers, like, like my city, like Hollywood, me growing up in Hollywood. And it's like the ghost of old Hollywood is still there kind of, but it's like, it's not, it's different. Things have changed, but there is still, um, you know, like I passed by the hospital that I was born in a lot and now like the, the, the the neighborhoods that I grew up in, there's still little elements of it. Um, and, uh, and then people, you know, whether it be like real people that aren't in your life anymore, whether it be relationships, you know, like you driving around town and that's the restaurant that you and your right. ex-partner used to go to all the time. So it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of it's all these, these ghosts yeah. that are around and you're, you're just feeling their presence and, and they don't ever really take form or take shape, but there's still a, a presence there. There's still memory. There is. Yeah. How do you personally reconcile that with the past do you let it exist and just realize that it's part of your whole entirety you know like these people and places are always going to be a part of you do you think that there's a necessary i don't know time to confront it and maybe get rid of that because then you're holding on to a negativity that was attached to either the place or the person yeah i mean I mean, that's, a, again, that's a struggle for me because I'm a very nostalgic person mm-hmm. and I really hold a lot onto the past, like whether it be, um, you know, like where the cat fiddle used to be, we were there for 30 years and I then we had, to, place, we, yeah. we had to move, unfortunately. So that is a very big thing. We're like, oh, we, we miss the old days. We miss the old stuff. And I haven't been to it. I haven't been to the new one yet. Yeah. So we're in a new place now. We're on yeah. Highland and Melrose, which right. used to be a club called Highland Grounds, actually back in the day. And, um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, change is the only constant. Right. And sure. The past is the past and it was great. And there's a lot of memories and it was very magical, but we're making new memories now. Mm -hmm. And you appreciate the past. You learn from the past, but I think there's also uh, an important, this is me telling myself this. Okay. Okay. This is (laughs) Um, There's also, there's also an importance to being in the present and appreciating the past for what it was, but, um, but, but keeping your head 
um, forward and looking to um, what's in front of you. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I think when we hold on to the past so much, it's hard for us to be present. I agree. I agree. I think that there's maybe some relevance to sure. staying in touch with it, though. I think it's a balance. Yeah. I think it's a balance. And if it comes to uh, experiences, the past is something that we can learn from. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. So we can appreciate the past for that. So that was that was the first EP is dealing with this uh, this idea. How is that portrayed musically on the first EP? Um. Well, I mean, a lot of it talks about. I mean, one of the songs is called "Forever Is Never," and okay. it's about about being in a relationship that that was just not meant to be. And even you know, maybe being in for a little bit too long, knowing that it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and that relationship became a ghost of the past very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. That person became became a ghost of the past quickly. But we were together for a long time, and so sure. of course. Um, a lot of, a lot of the, um, again, revisiting places that you went to together. And it's like, there's, there's still, there's still a, um, a bit of a, a bit of a presence there, a ghost. I, I just would call it like a ghost of the past. Yeah, no, that's, I, I completely agree that there is, uh, I was married for nine years. I've been divorced. I don't know how long now, five, six, something. Um, but that was a big chunk of time in my life. And so those things still, it's never, it's not that I haven't processed the divorce, but those, there's an element of it that will probably always be with me because of the amount of time and time you spend with someone and places you go and stories and life you accrue and all that stuff. Uh, those things are always, I think, very much alive. Yeah. The yeah, healing, sure. even going through the healing of the separation doesn't make those go away. And it's kind of cool sometimes, you know, because it's all just a scrapbook that lives in our minds. Um, so it can be detrimental, but it's also like that. That was that's all part of it. Right. You know, right. and they and they remain as memories. They live sure. on as memories and they'll always they will never not be a part of your life because it right. happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't it was, change the past. It was there. Yeah, it definitely it happened. There. Yeah, <laughs> it was there. It was there, but how it remains now in your mind is, is um, you know, I think that's just the glim- important part glimmer of, of what it was, or um, yeah, yeah. And if it was a negative experience, then um, you know, like hopefully that's something that you learn from mm-hmm. yeah. and can appreciate for for it being what it was, and and um, something that uh, appreciating that if it was negative, then appreciating that it's not in your life anymore, right. Right. There's there's something to appreciate from I think every experience. Yeah, I can see that glass half full. Right. Yeah, right. Trying to see <laughs> right. the, the, the trying to trying to <laughs> trying to see those positive angles. Um are as those, best as you can. Are those regular those kind of situations and maybe reflecting on or grieving somebody or some place or something? Is that a common source of inspiration for your writing? I would say so. Yeah, I keep a I keep a um, a running list of ideas. Like okay, like I'm I'm usually cr- creative when I'm in a good place. Um, but if I'm feeling a certain way, I will just kind of word vomit in a. I keep a running notes in my phone. 
on my okay. computer and I'll just, just, and then I can tap into that later on when I'm in a, in a oh, do you reread? creative place. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I used to do that, do like the mind dump and like, I'd keep a journal and just write and like, just mm-hmm. dump it all out as a way to purge it. But then I didn't yeah. want to ever revisit what I purged. So I don't, I don't, necessarily... ever, I don't want to put it back in. I want it just to get yeah. it out. That's a good, yeah, I, that's a, that's a good tactic for sure to, for processing. Um, but this is more of like, um, I will create, it's not necessarily a word dump or a journal entry, but it's just like a, um, maybe a title titles or keywords, like, like emotions or, um, describing an experience, describing okay. how I'm feeling, describing, um, yeah, it's more like descriptive stuff and it's just more it's it's with the intention of going back later and making a song out of it. Okay. Okay. Uh, a lot of times I get stuff off of bumper stickers. Really? Or billboards or out of a book or Is there anything these... you recorded that has been pulled from a bumper sticker? I feel like there is. Really? I feel like there is somewhere down there there was sometimes <laughs> there's just like little little clever wordplay Okay. Uh, wordplay things or something. So, uh, so sometimes those get thrown into the mix, and they'll all be mished, mishmashed up into into song lyrics. Yeah. Um, the production on Dark Matter was really, really intriguing to me. Um, one, I I hear several different generations or, or decades, I guess is a better phrase, all happening simultaneously. I can hear seventies, obviously eighties and nineties, all happening at once i think one of my favorite things about it sonically and production wise was how you approached mixing the vocals because it's not the standard issue vocal mix by any means i appreciated that do you want to speak to that process yeah well i did not mix this i i uh this was mixed by um by someone out of oklahoma and uh, Jared Evans, who I, uh, who ended up, he has a, he has a really great, um, ear for kind of old school stuff. Anyway, his whole studio is full of analog gear, which I got to use some of. And, um, yeah, so I, I came to him with demos basically, and I I recorded probably, I took a music production course and Mm -hmm. I, uh, my songs ended up becoming like my homework to turn in mixes. What did they? Oh, okay. So now I want to hit pause on dark matter and go off on a tangent. (laughs) Uh, What did you learn in music production course? Was it songwriting? Was it how to navigate pro tools and reverbs? Was it about the producing the song as core material or producing it in a studio? This was more about engineering. This was more about getting to know. I use logic. So it was more about getting to, uh, know logic better. Yeah. And um, when I would record in the past, my approach was just, I just want to demo stuff. I just want to get stuff in the machine. So I'm recording it and let someone else fix it all up and make it sound good later. Sure. So I switched that up a bit and I was like, I want to know, I want stuff to go in the machine at a good quality so I can use those tracks and not have to mm. record later. Yeah. So that was my point. And so my homework was through turn and mixes. And yeah, learning how to use plugins, learning how to okay. make sure your input volumes that it's not over, um, it's not peaking, yeah. things like just to get really good quality stuff going into the computer, and so that can be worked to use later. So, um, so I ended up recording all these songs on my own, 
um, mm-hmm. and did demos and recorded. Uh, I had done, I had just songs that I would turn in as mixes. And so I would tweak them and get the mixes better and better. And so they ended up becoming pretty good demos, I okay. would say. So now what um, was, what was the, if we call that for the sake of this question, those were the scratches. You went yeah. into the studio. What was on the scratch vocal and uh, some kind of chordal instrument, or did you have everything. like a drum mock-up, some bass, everything, fully everything. I did all. everything fully produced. I, I programmed all the drums. Okay. That was a full, it was a full song, all this, all okay. this stuff. So when I went to um, Jared, I had a drive just of the sessions and of all the stems. Yeah. So the things we did at his studio is we recorded live drums mm-hmm. um, and redid some lead vocals because he had really nice mics. Sure. So redid some of the lead vocals and then played with some of his analog gear. Yeah. Um, Cause I had those sounds anyway. I was, I was leaning towards those sounds anyway, using, um, using the MIDI stuff, but he had the actual gear. So we got to, yeah. Got to dig in. Nice. Yeah. And then he, then he mixed it. Okay. He mixed it all. Yeah. Sounds great. Were you there for the mixing process? I wasn't, but not in person, but we were going back and forth with the recalls or like, Hey, I like that, but do this. That process. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Uh, why six tunes and not on this last one? Why six tunes and not a full record? Well, it was gonna be five tunes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not vibing you out because it's like six tunes short. I'm just curious yeah. if uh why that decision was made. So the thing I like about my last one was an EP too. The thing I mm-hmm. like about that is that it's more of a bite-size uh project. Yeah. Um, it's something that I know that I can actually finish in a more decent amount of time. It's just less, it's just less cumbersome. And I have to, to like set myself coordinate for sure. Yeah. And I just, I want to set myself up to win and yeah. I want to set up to like finish stuff. So for me to do that, I've, um, I felt like an EP was the most manageable option okay. there. Um, one day I would, sure. I would love to do a full record. Um, and that's, i would really dig that but i just really like the way that an ep feels as far as it not being so daunting because releasing something on your own is a very daunting project anyway i'm in the middle of it right now yeah yeah it's it's a lot of work and so much work you know especially again especially when you're doing it all by yourself and you're funding the whole thing you're paying yeah. for everything you're putting in all the 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 promotion and you know yeah. you know how it is these days we do it all we're one-stop shop right did you hire like did you did you hire <laughs> any kind of PR? I just finally spoke to someone about doing PR about when mine comes out. Have you did you do that yourself as I, well? Cuz I mean you already have a, a presence on the scene yeah. and I'm sure you have a bunch of contacts from all your road work and uh, all the active tour. I work. did have I did have someone help with the PR because that's what they do. Yeah. And yeah. so it really helped to some with someone who had those contacts and was able to um, focus on that side of things. Yeah. So that was really really helpful. Um, that is the one thing that I, that I did get help with that. I'm glad I did for sure. sure. Yeah. Helpful. Did you like having Uh, your, uh, your hands in all of it? It's kind of fun. I mean, I did, I I still do. I have my hands in all of it. It's kind of fun, but it's super overwhelming. And I wish that the budget was big enough to be like, here, here's, here's the paycheck and the stems like, just fix it. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, Do it. Just send it back when it's done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I like having a hands in it because it's, it's at the end of the day, it's my name on it. And yeah. I need to know that it's something that I'm proud of. And, um, and that I, you know, I think that, that I want to be part of that process yeah. for sure. Is production something you're interested in continuing 
to uh, evolve in, not only for yourself, but for other artists? I'd be open to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. Did like specifically the engineering? I think I'd like the mixing. Engineering's not my engineering's a lot, but it's too it's, techy. It's it is, but I was actually in a session with a friend of mine, and uh, interestingly enough, we were going to play. Um, it was a writing session. We were going to both both play the instruments, and for whatever reason, I just ended up engineering the whole thing. Nice. And and it just kind of that's just how it flowed, you know. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Flow happened, and I was I just said to her, "Hey, you play all the stuff. No, let's." whatever, whatever. And between the two of us, it just seemed to flow way better with her just playing all the things and miking all the stuff. And then I just engineered it. Cause I guess I was just fresh out of the, the course and um, yeah. was pretty quick at it. So, okay. Uh, so you got into touring early on in your career. How did Mars Volta come around? I knew Ike Owens. Okay. Um, I, I knew him from the around just playing around town being in bands and i also went to high school with his little brother brandon okay. who's also a bass player so through that connection ike called me up and uh told me about these guys he was playing with and how they were looking to start a new band and we set up a meeting so the band was already together or was not already together not oh, so you were on the ground floor of it all yeah all right that was exciting did you do any writing with them Okay. Yeah, we uh, at the beginning, everyone was writing. To, we were all writing together. It was like a collaborative, collaborative situation. Nice. Um, did you have the, I don't want to say existential, but did you have the same approach to writing back then? Is that where your mind was at with music in those days? Is that what you were bringing to the, the writing sessions? Yeah, I mean, a, I, I was always writing. I mean, even in my first band, when I was 14, we, I was writing songs. For, okay. Um, with them so i've always been the kid sitting on my bedroom floor with an acoustic guitar writing songs kind of thing okay. so was, i've always go ahead, yeah. go ahead i'm sorry yeah yeah so I've, I've always had that that tendency and then and then later on playing in in bands uh where we're all in a room together um usually like drummer guitar player uh me um that's when i really got into like writing as a bass player as part of a band okay um in that way collaborative thing do you when writing as a bass player do you start with the instrument first like play a bass line and that begins a process or do you start with a melody or lyric and then figure it out i'm assuming if it's like everybody else every song is different but is there some place you kind of start with in your process when you have a bass in your hands and you're writing Again, it varies. It can start with a bass riff. It can start with a drum beat. It can start with the guitar, a guitar line. It's sure. just really kind of whoever throws something out there. Right. Uh, then you then you go with that. Do you yeah. prefer the the cooperative writing experience, or do you like the the solo experience? I like I like all of it. I really? enjoy all of it. It's all just different sides of the coin. I don't think really. I could ever write. That seems like such. That is such a unique. I don't know what word to choose. Like it's a talent, but they songwriters hone it too. So it's also a skill that's worked at whatever, however you want to frame that. It's a unique, special thing. I don't, I don't have the talent or the time or the whatever. <laughs> like that's a, it's, it's a tough thing. Who are, who are some of your favorite writers? Oh man. Um, I know it's a broad question and I hate being one, asked but I will, generic I will questions like that. 
But I will say when I first started playing bass, it was in the early 90s. And so I was listening to K-Rock at the time. And so my influences were the, those bands, the grunge bands, you know, like right. Nirvana and, and um, you know, bands like that, uh, Bash and Pumpkins. So I would say my first songs were very influenced by those bands. And, mm-hmm. um, and I remember bringing songs to my band. I had an all-girl band because I went to an all-girl Catholic school. Okay. And I remember bringing songs to them and they were like, oh man, this is too dark. <laughs> this is way too dark. We've got to, we've got to pep it up a little bit. I'm yeah. like, okay, whatever. <laughs> were, were, you, were you kind of a emo, emo teenager? I, guess, I mean, I guess so. I was, like, I was like, Kennedy's t-shirt. I would, wasn't wearing the shirts, but I definitely okay. listened to dead Kennedy's dead Kennedy's like minor threat. Um, I forgot about know, them. Yeah. Bad brains and all, all that stuff, along with the grunge stuff that was going on the on the K rocks of the time. Who's your favorite Trinidad. out of the grunge bands? I, I think mine was Soundgarden. Yeah, well, Nirvana was my favorite. Okay, at the time I would say Nirvana was my favorite, but like Siamese Dream, I would say was probably like I've never even especially heard of Pumpkins. Them. Especially Pumpkins, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's the album Siamese. Dream. Oh, okay, okay. I thought that was. Bands. I would say that was like probably. Um, looking back now, I would could still listen to that record and like, and just I still love it. Have you met them or worked with any of them? Um, I have met them. Yeah, I've met no. them. I haven't worked with them. Was that but. was that like the first time you met them? Was that did 14, 14 year old come? I'm like, oh my gosh, were you a little starstruck still? Yeah, I, I mean, or I just, were you like comfortable and like you could it, engage with them as a peer? It definitely brings me back. To, I went to Lollapalooza. 94 i think it was when they played and just flashbacks to like you know in the mosh pit and like crowd surfing and just <laughs> yeah. like so all for it just yeah just Man, all mosh in. pit i haven't even thought about a mosh pit and i don't even know how long i forgot about all that yeah wow crazy kids yeah were. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think they it's do the mosh pits anymore i don't think i don't think mosh pits happen yeah, I think they cracked down on on that stuff. <laughs> yeah, on the hitting each other in the face when listening to music. <laughs> yeah, so violent. Um, so was guitar before bass? No, it was always bass first. Okay, but I did have a. My dad had an acoustic guitar around. So okay. Uh, are those happened. the the main two instruments? Do you play keys? Do you? I play a little bit of keys. Okay. Yeah, I've done a lot of tours playing key bass, so yeah. I've had to do. That, that is that too. how you got into keys was learning learning the parts on key bass i i took some piano lessons when i was a little kid okay and i didn't take too too much but i at least have a little bit of background i wouldn't call myself a, a pianist at all by any means but i can if i had to i could i could get around right right you know. how has doing the amount of touring you've done shaped your playing and how do you um prevent you know, tour chops where you're just on the road and you're playing the same show so regularly that facility or goes falls by the wayside. I think it's just a matter of of forcing yourself to practice other stuff because mm-hmm. um, it's definitely easy to fall into that for right. sure. Right. Um, but I do a lot of session work while I'm on the road, okay. and because I have a remote setup, yeah, um, nice, like a like a portable setup, so. Uh, also, I write on the road too, okay. so that all just kind of keeps keeps me thinking outside outside of the you know, outside of the doing, show. Yeah, or outside of the show. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so I think it's just, it's also your priorities, you know? I mean, um, I think it depends on where people are at. Sometimes playing enough people, sometimes it could be if it's a challenging sure. show or depends on where, where people are at with that. Everyone's, everyone's their own, um, you know, right. determines where, what they need for themselves. That's true. Uh, you were in a rehearsal yesterday. Who were you rehearsing with yesterday? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're rehearsing with Pink right now. Are you going back out? Yeah, we have a we're doing a festival this weekend. Okay. Doing Bottle Rock. Yeah. Bottle Rock? Where's that? Napa. Oh. Napa. That's cool. I like Napa. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, how big is the festival? Is it multi-day really... or like just a Saturday? I think it's a three-day festival. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're playing the Sunday, so it'll be fun to it, it'll be the first show with her back in, in over two years and um, the first actual festival that I've played too, big show. So since be fun. since pre-COVID. Exactly. Yeah. I played shows, but not like an actual proper right, um, big festival or something. something yeah. Like yeah, that, yeah. So. Um, now you've worked with her off and on. Are you in her band? Are you in like the, in, uh, the li- in the live band? Okay, okay. Is that she? Does she do a, a band thing instead of not just call the regular musicians that she hires, but she's got a band band? Um, I mean, it's been a, a mostly the same members for a long time. So okay. I've been with her for for fifteen years. So yeah. whenever she does anything live, I'll be I'll be with her for that. Is there new material? Is she pumping out anything new? She she had a couple of new things last year, but uh, right now it's yeah it's, she's not doing any new stuff live not right now. But I believe she's working on a record. So do you do the records? Mm-mm. No, unfortunately she, not. Yeah, is she out here in LA? Uh, she's she's yeah she's southern. She's SoCal. Yeah. Okay. Up in Santa Barbara. Okay. Yeah. What's Santa out of Barbara all County. the what out of all the touring you've done? What are some like specific gigs or tours that's like, you know, would be kind of equivalent of like a back page article in a magazine, like war stories from the road. War stories. Yeah. Just like some, some gig went completely sideways or something really erratic happened or random or you've been, you've been working on the road for a while. So I'm sure that there's got to be some, some gems in there. Yeah, I think I might have blocked any of those out. <laughs> you know, the whole like, you know, glass half full thing. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't remember the bad stuff. I remember a lot of the good stuff. Um, yeah, I can't, I don't really have any like crazy war stories. Oh, that's good. Per se. Although I'll probably remember like five when we get off the, when we right. get off the call. <laughs> right. but yeah. It's like, it's like the, uh, you know, like tell me a funny joke. And you're like, ah, I can't think right, of Right. I don't got any, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Yeah. But then you hear one. And you're like, I got to remember that. Oh, yeah. You never do. Write it down. Next time someone asks me for a funny joke. Write it down. Write um, it down. Your, your dad was a bass player. I, now, I learned of him when starting the Cat and Fiddle and, and did a little research then. Um, you were very exposed to the bass and bass playing. I'm sure he was a major, if not the primary influence growing up. Um. What bass players did he turn you on to during your formative bass player years? Uh, he turned me on to um, 
he was a big fan of Jack Bruce. Oh yeah. He uh he was friends with John Entwistle. He was oh. friends with a lot of these guys. So amazing. I was lucky to be um to be exposed to them just and, and, and as a person as well. Um, sure. Real life. So that was all really special stuff. Um he I do remember specifically him turning me on to KOK. Oh, okay. Because he's because he was um I mean, back in that like, time, oh. she was out here because you guys moved here uh, late 70s, mid 70s. My, Your yeah, dad? my parents moved here in the mid 70s. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, so that's like right around the time Motown Records moves to L.A. Carol wasn't I mean, I think that's a whole other topic. What Carol did for Motown, um, but she was doing the Wrecking Crew around yeah. that time. Yeah. All the studios were yeah. the studios were alive and happening. Uh, was your dad a part of that scene? And did he take you to it? Were you exposed he, to session musicians? Okay. He was not really a part of that scene. He was more a part of the rock and roll, the British rock and roll scene. Mm-hmm. So the Rods, he was in a band with Rod Stewart. He was in a band with Ron Wood, the Rolling Stones. He knew all of those guys. He was friends with the Who guys. So whenever any of those British guys were in town, um, they were hanging out at the Kent, but also that That's was cool. the scene he was in more. Yeah. Mostly. Although after living in LA for a long time and owning a, a pub, um, the local watering hole, of course, sure. he became friends with a lot of right. other people too. Right. Like whether it be in Laurel Canyon or on Sunset, like you're going to get a bunch of musician traffic uh, to either location. Yeah. 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 Like, like, you know, I remember him telling me like, oh yeah, Slash came into the pub last <laughs> night. And people who were hanging out in Hollywood back right. then. So. Right. Like during, you know, kind of the I don't want to say heyday of Hollywood because there's always been different periods of heydays, but I don't know. I don't know if there was a big heyday in the nineties with the exception of whatever Johnny Depp was doing at the Viper room. I don't know if that was a big, you know, uh, yeah, there wasn't like the scene that I remember I've heard of, um, in the eighties with the whiskey, go, go or the seventies and the doors and all this, all the clubs that were actually open. Yeah. Back then. Sunset strip scene. Yeah. Yeah, but that I don't think much was happening by the nineties. I mean, you were around for it. What what was the scene like in Hollywood in the nineties? In the nineties? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in high school in Hollywood in the nineties. So for me, it was going to places that allowed underage kids in. Right. So it it was actually the whiskey being one of those places. Okay. I played one of my first first gigs at the whiskey. Nice. What was the band? So, Do you remember the do you remember the band? Yeah, I was in a band called Entropy, which okay. was that all, How do you all spell band that? from E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. Okay. And we actually played with a band called um, Kara's Flowers, who we were friends with, who later became Maroon 5. Oh, wow. So that was, was all, all friends with those guys back in high school days. That's cool. High school land. So Did they go to the same high school? So we were just a bunch oh, of... Oh, no, you went to an all-girls school. No, they... Yeah, they went to a different high school, but we were all just like L.A bunch of la kids that were going to shows and playing shows and having right. birthday parties and yeah and so we were all we were all around around for it so nice um but yeah those uh so the whiskey yeah, any other like, kind of regular hot spots back in the day of that I old like, hollywood I mean, we're hanging out at um i mean i mean uh yeah the roxy same kind of yeah. thing uh the troubadour we were going to shows at the troubadour all the time um, some of the a lot of the same clubs that are still around today, some that aren't around anymore. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. But yeah. I mean, since we were music kids, we were musician kids, we were hanging out at shows a lot. Mm-hmm. What um, during that time you're starting to play out with bands and stuff where you're getting outside of your father being a, a bass player, were you getting other education in music or the bass? Were you taking like yeah, local so private lessons the- or, or a friend of your dad's, you know, something? So after the all girl high school, I was there for two years and I decided I wanted to take the music thing seriously. So I ended up going to an arts high school okay. um, called LOXA, the LA yeah, County sure. High School for the Arts. And I was in the music program there. So I was there for two years playing in the jazz band and getting more of a formal music education. Okay. Okay. Uh, on electric? On electric yes. bass? Yeah. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes those schools are weird. Like they, they force you to play upright or something. But they well, were cool. so. So we had, there were a couple of electric players, me being one of them. And then, then we had a couple of upright players. So whoever, if we were playing like the big band stuff, the other guys would play the, play those okay. tunes. If we had a lot of Latin, our um, jazz band instructor was really, he was a Latin jazz guy. So we were yeah. playing a lot of Latin jazz tunes and that's the stuff that I, that I ended up doing because okay. I played electric and I loved the, loved the groove stuff. So right. the stuff I was playing. Right. Um, and I started playing upright in college. Actually, I didn't start playing oh. upright until, um, until I was in the Middle Eastern Orchestra. In the what orchestra? In, uh, at UCLA. Okay. Do you still play? Middle Eastern. I was playing Middle Eastern music. That's cool. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't anymore. But that was my intro to Upright because we had to play. You can't. Um, we had to play instruments that didn't have any frets on them. Yeah, right. Because it's a lot of the microtones. Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, so that's how I ended up getting the upright doesn't have frets on it. So I ended yeah. up playing. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't ever think of the upright in Middle Eastern music. Yeah, I think I was their first bass player. They didn't have any. Really? They didn't have any music in bass class. It was all in trouble. Yeah. And uh, so I was for a while. I was transcribing everything, but it was like all the pieces were like six pages long, and they were in like you know oh. nine nine eight and yeah, yeah. just. That's normal to them. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, of course it's, yeah, it's like a nature, um, and the way like the blues would be to us or something. Right. But, uh, so I just ended up learning how to read trouble. Okay. It was just easier. Yeah. Uh, I think it is right. easier. Uh, so what's next? Do you have another EP you're looking forward to after, I mean, what's next next is this thing you're doing with pink, but for your own stuff, what's, what's on the horizon? My own stuff. I am back into the writing mode. Okay. And um, collecting maybe what will be an al- a full album. I don't know. Ooh, ooh, I, I, we'll see. I'm lobbying for yes. I think, it, <laughs> I think you got two EPs out that are similar in concept. Now, full album. Time for a full album. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's actually what I would like to do next. I would like to, to do a full album. So okay. um, we'll see. We'll see, what, we'll see what the future brings. Yeah. But that's the idea. Okay. Instrumentation wise, like vibe of the record still kind of the same thing mixing 80s kind yet, of new actually. wave synth with you know like the the opening guitar of dark matter when i was making notes on the record i'm just like grunge just grunge yeah you know yeah yeah you can you definitely could tell what i was listening to in the early 90s like, yeah <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah no, it's like straight out of the nirvana playbook like the just the sound yeah. of it and everything exactly um, i know but i i I actually have where because I usually play everything on my record, so or most most things. Um, I I was thinking about 
having people come in and doing it totally differently and just recording it live with other people playing instruments that that they're actually, you know, having um, a guitar player actually come in and play the right. guitar and an actual an actual keyboard player come in and play keys and um, and just to get other people's um, just to get some outside yeah, yeah, outside yeah. input. Right. Know? I think that's necessary. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot of times it's just, it's just me on my own in my studio. So I think it would be nice to try it differently this time. Sure. Yeah. The way, I mean, the way I think about that stuff is they know their instrument, like let's say a guitar player, a guitar guy is going to know all the nerd stuff about a guitar that I know about the bass. Yeah. So they can bring, I don't know. Bring the, I don't know something different. Yeah. Like I don't know the nerd yeah. stuff, but he's just going to do it and I'm going to like exactly. it. So I'll let him, I'll let him be exactly. the specialist on it. That's, that seems to be easier than me trying to like conceive of it all. Cause I fall into that thing a lot where I try to envision it all before I start and it's daunting and too much. Yeah. 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 I I'm, I'm, I'm definitely into the idea of delegating and I, I, I even want someone else to play bass. Really? Yeah. And you would just totally be the singer? Into that idea. Yeah. Yeah. All Maybe right. that's fascinating. Have who, a who would you choose as a bass player? I, now when I was doing my record, I was, I was making jokes about that. That I was going to sub out, you know, my own record to somebody else. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an instrumental record, so uh, kind of funny. Dude, nobody, nobody comes to mind who you would. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Yeah, I'd have to think about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the songs sound like yet. So I think that um, as the songs take tape sh take shape, maybe right. I'll have more of an idea. That'll dictate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the personnel. Mm -hmm. Cool. Looking forward to hearing it. Let me know. Uh, let you. me know when it comes out. Thank you. I want to hear the right full on. length of record. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> About Eva, time. Yeah. Yeah. Eva, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, all right. That was my talk with Eva Gardner. That chat went some fun places. Uh, after she talked about the meaning behind her EP, Dark Matter, like behind the title, I was thinking about that for a while. It's a really, really fascinating thesis, you know, for the lack of a better, better musical term, term or musical term. I'm gonna use the, I'm gonna use the word thesis. Uh, interesting thesis for the record. Again, do yourself a solid. Check out the EP and follow Eva on Instagram at Eva Gardner. Uh, I will have links up to all that at thebayshed.com backslash podcast backslash Eva Gardner. Folks, wherever you are listening to the Bayshed podcast, click on the subscribe button. I have some episodes in the tank that'll be coming your way shortly that are really, really fun. Next week is my chat with Ryan Gullen. Gullen. G-U-L-L-E-N. I get man, me and the last names never fails. Never fails. Ryan Gullen is the bassist for the band The Sheepdogs, which is a Canadian band that sounds more Americana than Americans do. <laughs> uh, we talk about that, actually. The band is really, really dope. Their new album, Out of Sight, just dropped, so we'll be talking about that, and in typical Ryro style, a bunch of other tangents that I go on. That's, that's, what, that's what that is. Do yourself a solid. Do me a solid. Do the world a solid. Hit the subscribe button and stay tuned. That's, that's all I got. That's all I got for this one. I will catch you on the next one in a minute.